Hello, and welcome to As We Wait, an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of the entire Bible led by pastor and teacher Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California. Let's join Mike in our study of the New Testament Gospel of John, Chapter 11. We have a few moments before we begin, so let's get our Bibles and notebooks and prepare our hearts and minds to receive the Word of the Lord. God is really into us. Don't you like that? That when you approach him, he doesn't say, oh, hang on a minute. Let me finish this one thing up. He's always right there. And I like that, that we are his friend. In fact, again, he says just as much in John chapter 15, when he says, henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends for all things that I've heard of my father. I've made known unto you. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. Jesus declares that we are his friends. If we follow him and seek after him, we're his friends. We've got a friend in Jesus. I think that's a song, but it's just a cool thought. Jesus goes on to explain here in verse 4. He says, when Jesus heard that he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Jesus, as he gets the news, and the disciples probably heard it, they're waiting like, oh, wow, we're going to take off now and go you know, rescue Lazarus? And Jesus kind of begins to explain the plan a little bit. First off, he says that this sickness is not unto death, which is probably good news because they don't know it yet, because Jesus will explain in a minute that before the news even got there, Lazarus is already dead. Okay, so they're thinking, well, well, Lazarus is sick. Oh, wow. But he calms him down. Don't worry. He's going to be okay. This is not really the end. And death will not be the final result, not for Lazarus and not for those that believe in Jesus because of what they're going to see and hear. They're going to come to a different understanding of who Jesus is. Now, a delayed response isn't exactly what Mary and Martha were looking for. When they sent the news, they just kind of figured that Jesus would drop everything he's doing and hot-footed over there to Bethany to take care of the problem. Kind of like when sometimes you get a call from somebody. Like I called somebody today, hey man, I need help with something. (laughs) I didn't really want to wait three hours. And I was glad that somebody showed up to help me out. But oftentimes we're like that. We don't really want to wait. We think that it's going to be taken care of quickly. And when we see the delay, and sometimes we get frustrated. Sometimes we see the delay and we're thinking, oh, do I have what it's need? And obviously, Mary and Martha were looking for a prompt response. And as we read our narrative, we see that Jesus hears the news and waits two more days. Like, huh. Now, they didn't know that. I mean, the messenger went back, perhaps, and said, yeah, I told the Lord. And they go, well, what's he doing? Uh, he was eating lunch, you know, <laughs> or he was doing, you know, something. They're kind of going, what? But that's because God doesn't operate the way that we always expect him to operate. That's one of the biggest, I think, fallbacks or failings of religion. And religion being man's idea of what God ought to do or not do. You know, man's traditional rules for how God works. And it's really interesting because... God really likes to surprise us. God likes to make it a point that he's not going to get locked into some kind of religious box, some systematic way of doing things. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. My kids uh, just today actually started uh, piano lessons. And Grace and I have been talking about this for a couple of weeks, and we were going to look at some garage sales, trying to pick up a keyboard or talk to somebody that had one or, or something, you know, trying to figure it all out. And we're just kind of thinking it through. And, and then today uh, she's driving down the road, and there's a piano on the side of the road. And, you know, quite honestly, uh, she called me, hey, I want you to go over and take a look at this piano. We found a piano on the side of the road. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. What kind of piano are you going to find on the side of the road? You know, come on. And she just kind of drove by, didn't really stop and look at it. But no, there's a piano on the side of the road. So I go, okay. Just to kind of, you know, placate my wife a little bit, you know, and just play along. Yeah, I'll go check it out. Well, I get over there to to check it out, and then she kind of beat me to it. She's there, she's looking at it, and I'm thinking, well, man, it's not like what I thought it would be, because there's a piano over here at Mama's next door that is thrashed. I mean, it's big beat up, there's keys missing, there's pedals missing, and all kinds of stuff, and that's kind of what I expected to see. I figured every kid walking by would take a hammer to it or something, you know. But we get over there, and it's actually in pretty decent shape. So I, I start, you know, I know a lot about music, so I start playing each key. I go, well, they sound good to me. Then uh, Carol Clark comes over, and she goes, well, let me check it out. And she, I go, yeah, I don't want to lug this huge paperweight into my house, you know. And so she plays it, and it plays out fine. We ended up picking that thing up and put it in my truck and hauled it to my house. We wanted to bless our kids with a, a keyboard. Guy goes, no, I want you to have a piano. <laughs> and I'm going to leave it out on the side of the road where you can get it easy, you know. <laughs> God's ways are not our ways. I'm thinking about how I'm going to go buy something or do something or negotiate something, you know. And God goes, no, i got a whole different plan here. You, know, you can't limit God on what he's going to do. When we do limit God, I think we limit the blessings that are going to be poured out upon us. We need to keep an open mind. You know, Jesus said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, that my grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And I think this scenario kind of fits the bill there perfectly. There's nothing we can do to reverse death. Jesus, as this story kind of plays out, we know that Lazarus dies, right? And obviously the sisters are trying to get Jesus there before that happens. But Jesus intentionally allows Lazarus to die. And it's a hopeless situation. There's nothing that anybody can do. I mean, you can't give a guy medicine for death. Once you're dead, you're done. And it's one of those things that the strength of God is made perfect in weakness. Now, Jesus again refers to himself in this verse, and it's kind of cool, as the Son of God. You know, when he's talking to the Pharisees in previous chapters, he refers to himself as the Son of God, and they get all ticked off when they throw rocks and all kinds of stuff. And you know, almost the, the opinion at times is the thought that Jesus is just provoking them, that Jesus is just throwing that out there, like, haha, I'm the Son of God, and you're not. And it starts this kind of contentious discussion or debate. But even in an instructive way, Jesus tells them that he is the Son of God, right there. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. He's teaching them, but they're going to come to understand that he really is the Son of God because only God can do the things that Jesus is about to do. And again, Jesus intends to use this situation to be glorified. So often we get into kind of a difficult thing. And I think one of the things that we need to do as Christians is that whenever we encounter difficulty, whenever we encounter a trial of some sort in our life, instead of asking, why God, like why me, or why now, we should be asking, Lord, what? What do you want me to learn from this? What, Lord, are you doing in my life? How is this going to impact me in an eternal way? What are you doing that I can go along with your plan? The best thing that we can do is when God is working in our life, sometimes through trials and difficult things, is simply to yield and let God do what he wants to do. And that's the way that we can facilitate that 
as quickly as possible. I don't want to spend 10 years learning a lesson, a difficult lesson, when I can just go, okay, Lord, and learn it in two weeks. You know? But God always has the upper hand. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, Jeremiah speaking for God says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Jesus could have just, from where he was at over there by the river Jordan, said, Lazarus, arise, or Lazarus, be healed. And instantly, Lazarus would have risen from the dead or been healed or whatever the situation was. And I'm sure Mary and Martha at one point went, Hey, Lord, did you? Yeah, I did. Oh, wow, praise the Lord. And it would have been grateful. But Jesus will use this in such a way that people will know that he is the Son of God and that he will be glorified and get the maximum value out of this particular issue. But always to bring us to an expected end. That's because God's more into the process than he is the actual final product sometimes. He uses that process in our hearts and our lives to draw more and more out of us or to instill more and more into us. God is always working. There's never a wasted moment or a wasted move with God. You talk about economy of motion, every move counts. I think God invented that, and it works every time. Paul writes it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. If you're a child of God, and you confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, the different things that we go through, God will use it all, every bit of it, for good somehow. And that's a blessing to know, isn't it? That you're not just spinning on a string, that you're not just going through stuff like, you know, to entertain God or whatever. It all has purpose. In verse 5 it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now the word loved there is agape, unconditional divine, selfless, sacrificing kind of godly love. And it's interesting because typically the Marys are always mentioned first. Sometimes they're venerated uh, in different ways in the Catholic Church, but here it says that Jesus loved Martha, and Martha's always kind of represent those that are working, those that are serving and ministering, the ones that are washing the dishes and changing the diapers and cleaning the house and all the -the behind-the-scenes things that sometimes people just don't really notice. And so he mentions Now, Jesus loved Martha, oh, and her sister. Almost like a side note, you know. And uh, to me, it's just kind of interesting that it's worded that way. But because he loves them, he's going to minister to them the very best way. He's going to bring them to that expected end that we talked about, which at first may not seem like it's the best way to them. I think back to some of the trials that I've been through. And at the time, I wished they would end. At the time, I saw them as completely, not just inconvenient, but painful, and could hardly wait to kind of get through that season. But every single trial that I've been through, I look back now, and I look at the things that God did in me and instilled in me and worked through me, and that he's caused me, helped me to mature as a Christian, helped me to appreciate his love in a deeper sense, and that he was doing a good work. Now, we have to understand, contrary to some teaching, God's love for us is not a pampering kind of a love. It's not always that he's going to shower down gifts. You're not always going to find a piano on the side of the road. Okay, God's love for us is a perfecting love. God's love for us is intended to bring us to that expected end, to bring an expected result out of these different things. And in his love, you know, I didn't really think that my football coach in high school loved me that much because he kept screaming at me to run faster and to do more. And I thought I was going to die. And he goes, no, you got more. And he would push me and push me and push me. 
And there were times I thought my lungs were going to explode, my legs were going to pop, and I was just going to die there in the football field. But he knew that I had more. He knew that we as a team had more. And he was doing a good thing, but it was very painful at the time. And I benefited from it in the long run, but at the time I just wished he would stop. And that's kind of how God is sometimes. We think we're done. We're crying, uncle, I'm done. You know, I have no more. Because no, you know what I mean? you got half a gallon left. There's more to be poured out. And there's that other thing in the back part of your heart that's got to be rooted out. And God knows. And so we need to just yield and let him do that because he's always working in our lives. That's exactly why James would later write in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire Wanting nothing. God is always working in us. Life is like a big gym. You go to a gym and sometimes you'll see those signs, no pain, no gain, or no gain, no pain. One of those things, I forget what it is. But bottom line is, without some hard work and some sweat and some tearing of the muscles and some screaming a little bit, uh, what are you doing there? You guys ever been to a gym before and you see guys just hanging out, uh, drinking fruit juice and looking cool? I've seen that. I've been to these gyms where I'm I'm busting my butt, I'm pumping out weights and working hard, breathing hard, sweating, and they see some guy, some goofball sitting over there by the juice bar, sucking on a straw, watching you. And thinking, the biggest workout that guy's going to get today is sucking on a straw. (laughs) You know? How do you get strong? Not by hanging out on the stool and sucking on the fruit juice. You get strong by getting out there and pushing the weights around and doing all the stuff. We want to be strong in the Lord, right? We want to be exercised. We want to be equipped. We want to grow in our walk. A lot of people are very content, quite honestly, to come to church and hang out, listen to a Bible study, listen to some worship, and then exit stage left as soon as the bell rings. And sometimes people do that, and it's nice if they come, and I pray that the Lord will catch their heart at some point. But it's something else when you're eager to hear from God, when you're desiring to hear His voice, when you want to be a disciple, a follower, a person that's proactively trying to grow in God and to draw closer to Him. And that's kind of what we're talking about. When we say, Lord, I want to see your face. I want to go closer to you. I want to, I want to hear your voice. He goes, okay, cool. Here's how it's going to go. And it's kind of like going into the gym and you've got a coach that's kicking your butt. And say, okay, lift it, lift it, lift it. And you go, oh, I'm done, I'm done. No, you got more. And so that's just how it is. So that's why we count it all joy when we fall into these diverse temptations because he's working our patience. He's working our faith. He's strengthening us. Now, why this emphasis there in verse 5? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Why this emphasis that Jesus loved them? Because there would be those later on, and I would point you to verse 36 in this chapter, that after everyone figures out that Lazarus dies, then the Jews said, Behold how he loved him, sarcastically, critically. There will be those times when God is just doing something that you don't like in your life. He's working something out, and you're going to question, Does God really love me or not? And I think it's really cool that in this particular place, it's expressed that Jesus did love them, that this is part of God's love. And it's that reminder that just because bad things are happening doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you. Sometimes we equate, well, when life is good, Jesus loves me, and when life isn't so great, he doesn't love me. That's equating our personality and our character to God. And God's not that way. God always loves us. In fact, if I could just impart three things to you tonight about God, I would say, number one, please always, always, always remember that God is good. Period. God is good. The second thing is that God's will is perfect. 
The things that God does, the way he does it, the people that he uses is just the right way. It's perfection. And then finally, the last thing I would impart to you is that God loves you. And he wants the very best for you always. And just remember that God is good, God's will is perfect, and that he loves you. That'll get you through a lot. What you'll understand is I don't understand what's going on, but I do know that God loves me. And I do know that his will is perfect. And I do know that that he's good. And when you can keep that in mind, you can get through an awful lot. In verse 6, when he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. So Jesus waits two more days. Now, Jesus is in a different location. He's in a place called Anon. already showed you where Bethany was on the map here. And Anon near Salim is where John the Baptist was baptizing previously. And it's give or take right about there. We don't know exactly the place. There's some places you can go to and they can, well, that's the spot. But the bottom line is it's kind of a general area over here by the Jordan River just north of the Dead Sea. And from Anon to Bethany, it's about 20 miles. Okay, so it's a good day's walk. And they were walking a lot. I mean, they knew how to pick them up and put them down. For us, it would be a two-day walk because we'd get partway and, and have to stop and get a rest and have a little sip of fruit juice or something. And then keep going. But so Jesus is over here by the River Jordan. Uh, that's when the messenger gets there. And it would be a day to come back. But remember now, when Jesus gets there, he's been dead and buried for four days. Okay, so it's a day over there. Jesus waits there two days after that, and then it's a day back. So that accounts for the four days. So before the messenger actually got there, you know, they didn't have cell phones. They just give a guy a note or tell him you know, what to say. He takes off, and while the guy's on the road, Lazarus dies. And so it kind of makes you wonder, why did Jesus wait there so long? I mean, Jesus being God, being omniscient, he already knows what's going to happen. Why did he wait? He waited until there would be no doubt that Lazarus didn't swoon or that Lazarus didn't faint in some way, or go into a coma. He started to decompose. Okay, they said, he stinketh. A lot of our favorite verses in the Bible, he stinketh. And again, God's delays are not necessarily his denials. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says wait. There are things probably that we're all waiting for. It doesn't mean that he said no, absolutely, it's never going to happen. This is just, it's not going to happen right now. Maybe it is a good thing, but maybe there's something to be gained in the waiting. In verses uh, 7 and 8, Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go unto Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee. Goest thou thither again? Now, it's interesting that after that, he waited there two days. What do you think was going through the disciples' minds during those two days? They're thinking, okay, Lazarus is taking a nap. You know, because the last thing Lazarus, you know, sleeps, and I'm going to go wake him up, whatever. They're thinking, well, Lord, if I was sick, would you come fix me? (laughs) You know, Uh, do you think they're starting to wonder, like, what would Jesus do if it was them? I mean, if you love Lazarus so much, well, hey, it's a good thing I'm an apostle. I mean, because you're a little higher in the pecking order or something, you know. In my mind, I just kind of wonder what these guys are thinking. But it is interesting, because the specter now comes up of his personal safety. Jesus kind of uses some descriptive language to say that he sees what's going on, and that he's not oblivious to the obvious. You know, they raise the specter, and you know, they're going to try and kill you. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. This whole time, Jesus' entire earthly ministry, he's walking in faith. 
He's trusting in God the Father to make all the things happen that he knows are supposed to happen. And I like this, that Jesus moves forward in faithfulness. You know, in a roundabout way, he's saying, I'm aware of everything that's going on, but don't worry, it's kind of taken care of. The threat of his personal safety, the disciples make a lot of issue about that. Well, okay, at one point they said, well, he's going to go, let's go die with him. Kind of a fatalistic uh, way of looking at it. But Jesus knows something. And it's something I think that we need to learn as well. I've learned, not just in law enforcement, but in my Christian walk, that I believe I am invincible until the day the Lord calls me home. Then I'm toast. But the bottom line is, if we're serving the Lord and doing His will, and He's got a mission for us, He's got a purpose for us, that we can't be taken out until that is accomplished. And a lot of people operate by fear. I think that the Lord calls us to operate by faith. And if He's called us to do something, that He'll let us finish doing exactly that. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's declared there, it's appointed unto men once to die, then the judgment. God's got a plan, and if we're part of it, it will be brought to fruition. In verse 9, it says, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walks in the day, he stumbles not, but he sees the light of this world. But if a man walks in the night, he stumbles because there is no light in him. In a physical sense, he's saying that there's 12 hours of light to work in where you can see, and you won't be stumbling around. So he's saying, in a sense, work while you can. You know, it's interesting. Life doesn't always go on the way we think it will. It is amazing to me how often in a person's life, on a personal level, we always expect that the next day will be like today, the day after that will be like that. You can plan this week out, the month out, the years out, and so on. And we make our plans. And we're called to kind of be diligent and move forward and stuff. But it, isn't it amazing how life can change on a dime? I mean, one phone call or one red light that you miss <laughs> or one thing and, and life just changes or even ends. I woke up one morning thinking that I'm going to be going to work later that day and that it'll be, you know, another day at the police department and doing all my thing. And I wake up to a phone call. And as I hear that phone call and I'm asked to pray about some stuff, whatever, it changed my entire life. A month later, I was no longer a cop. A month later, everything I owned was being in a truck headed up to the 5 freeway to a place I'd never, you know, people I didn't know and the whole thing. Life changes. And we need to be prepared to kind of roll with it and to do what we can while we can. There are our limits. There are seasons. There are opportunities that will not last forever. Just like night and day. Another way to put it is there are only 12 hours in the day. You better get busy. In a spiritual sense, Jesus again is walking in perfect obedience to God's will. There was no danger, therefore, of his being killed before the appointed time. He would be preserved until his work on earth was done and not a moment before. Jesus was saying it again that the threats of the council were of no concern to him, and they really weren't. And I like that because Jesus really is our best role model. He taught us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I hope that you're praying for our brothers and sisters in Iraq and in Sudan and in North Korea and all these different places where Christians are being persecuted for their faith, where children are being killed because they're in a Christian home where husbands are being slaughtered and, and women are being taken away captive simply because they're Christians, where their faith is truly being tested. And are they committed to being what they say they are? 
And we can talk about not fearing because we don't have a reason to fear. But what if a gunman did walk in the door? What if, you know, the world changed overnight and the Muslims were coming after us? What if ISIS landed in a big cargo plane and 10,000 of them came out and began to sweep through Susanville and were caught unawares, you know, not enough bullets or whatever, and now we're at their mercy? Are we prepared to not fear them and to fear God more? Are we prepared to die for our faith? Jesus knew the future. He wasn't worried about being stoned because he knew that it was going to be another three or four months before he went to the cross. We have to believe the same thing. Well, that's all the time we have for now. You've just been listening to Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California, expounding upon chapter 11 and the Gospel of John. Please join us again next time as we continue our study through the book of John and the entire Bible. As We Wait is an outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California. We pray that you have been blessed and would like to invite you to join us in person. We meet at 450 Richmond Road, Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30, Wednesday evenings at 7, and communion is celebrated the first Sunday of each month at 6 p.m. To get the entire study on CD, you can call the church office at 530-257-4833 or write to us at P.O. Box 1316, Susanville, California, 96130. For more information or to stream all of our broadcasts, you can go to www.ccsusanville.com. Until we meet again, may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus be upon you. Amen.